So last week I finished this book and I just read the book because uh, I just wanted something fun and um, just fun. And so it's this uh, book about uh, this writer. I just really like him. Actually, he's from Boise, um, who goes on a hunting trip with like two professional, uh, like professional hunters, not boutique hunters. And they go and do this caribou hunting in Alaska. And it was an extended time. It was just this funny and great story. But here's the shocking part. It actually was spiritually and psychologically a really deep reflection. So I absolutely loved it. And he talks about um, like how the whole experience of living in the wild for a while, it rewired him where uh, like there's periods of boredom, which is good. You need boredom because then suddenly boredom is the desire for desire. You become awake to just the beauty of this tundra and everything around. At one point, he hears this um, raven fly by and because of the silence, he said it was like a helicopter. And he kind of thought, ravens fly by all the time, but why now am I so tuned in? And then as the raven flies by, it gives this strange caw. And the professional hunter says, did you hear that? Um, that raven, ravens are very, very smart. That raven wants to work with us to find the caribou. The raven will help us because it wants the carcass. And holy cow. But he said, like, he just became more awake and alive to everything around him. Uh, just became rewired. You need silence and boredom um, and struggle because there's days, you know, you had to hunt for your food. They had nothing to eat and you got to be fine with it and you don't complain. And Yeah, it's cold, but enjoy it. Um, it's just a great book. Um, and then he comes back and his wife says to him, he says, you know, you're so much more calmer and relaxed. You're so much more easy to live with. Um, and it lasted for several months. And that's what I mean, like he was rewired. Um, and I so love the book because um, I love that one point where he says um, his time in the wilderness, it rewilded him and rewired him uh, to be actually a better person. In times of boredom, he's actually started to think about his wife and, wow, I, I am a little snippy towards her. So this sounds kind of strange. The wild improved his marriage. And he does... He's really smart, and he has all these uh, studies and evidence that he throws out. And like one study proves that, you know, our overcomfortable, overfed, temperature-controlled, sedentary, safe life is wrecking our health, our emotional health, and even our souls. And I really do believe that. There's all this evidence that um, physically we're healthier, emotionally we're healthier, and spiritually we're healthier if we're pushed out of our comfort zones. So I really believe like we were meant to live in a more primitive society where we had to rely on each other and be a tight community because there are some real threats that could destroy us if we're not united. And we should have you know, this sense of rewiring and um, work harder together. And so, like, they did this other study of studying people who um, um, lived a very risk-free upbringing where it was a very comfortable upbringing versus other people who their upbringing was stressed and, um, uh, stressed and 
adverse. And those who conquered their adversity versus those who had a very comfortable life, interesting difference is that the ones who conquered their adversity had less prescriptions, less medical issues, less psychiatric problems, uh, reported health, uh, reported to be happier, um, quicker at getting over negative events, and had a higher threshold towards pain. So the point being, the title of the book is Comfort, the Comfort Crisis. That comfort, it's killing us. Uh, not only this, medically, but actually even psychologically. And even like, um, he quotes this thing from William James, and I love William James, great philosopher, uh, psychologist, where William James was kind of curious about something. Do you guys remember when you were little kids and it was a summer day and it just seemed that time stretched on forever? Do you, do you remember that? Like, it just why is it it stretched on forever? And now as an adult, my gosh, it's, it's uh, Lent and then oh, you turn around, it's Thanksgiving again, and it's Christmas again. Where did summer go? Now, why, why does time so speed up? And William James discovered, you know, when you're a little kid, everything's new and you're exciting and it's an adventure. And then unfortunately, you have this, um, I'm going to put it in my own words, your life becomes bland. And bland is not the same thing as boring. Bland is you live this comfortable life, you go to work, you have a sedentary life, sit on your rear end for eight hours, then you come home and sit on a comfortable couch, watching TV, then you go to your comfortable bed, and it's bland, 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 and nothing exciting. You become bland, and so time just speeds along, because you you're not really awake to, I don't know, ravens and beauty and everything else. Um, so anyhow, the point being is that emotionally, it sounds kind of strange, if you live too comfortable life, it's not good for you. Now, if that's true, medically, psychiatrically, don't you think it's true spiritually that if you become too comfortable, I think it kills your spirit. So comfort kills. Um, and discomfort makes us grow and become deeper. And like, um, so this sounds kind of strange. I was reading this book, didn't mean to. And I was like, oh, his weeks in the tundra is exactly like us, the five weeks of Lent. We're entering the wilderness. We're entering the desert where we want to be rewired to God and rewild, um, discover our original blessing. We want to become deeper and better. And like, I love studying anthropology. I'm weird that way, especially anthropology and religion. And in ancient religions, um, especially for kids, um, religion was slightly dangerous. Religion was about taking up a challenge, not being comfortable. And I like that because I don't think there's any grace without a challenge. So in our own history as the Catholic Church, you know, for the first 300 years of religion, we are persecuted. You're putting your life on the line and the church exploded with incredible growth. Millions from 12 to millions because you are putting your life on the line. And then the Roman Empire becomes Christian and it kills the spirituality. Suddenly, everybody's um, Catholic, and it just kind of became bland. And so you had people who left their cities and went into the desert. Um, they formed what's called the uh, Desert Monks, Mothers and Fathers. And 
they just want people, yeah, they're, they want a harsh life, and they want a harsh life where they're united together, and they pray, and the amazing part, um, they became little islands of holiness, incredible holiness, great spiritual works were done there, but they didn't want comfort, they wanted discomfort, and they formed these communities of great holiness, and so like, my point being is that, wow, Lent to us is like that hunting expedition. We want to push the boundaries of being comfortable. So like in the gospel, um, Jesus goes into the wilderness, but what it says in the Greek is that the Holy Spirit pushed him into the desert, uh, wilderness. Or you could translate, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit now drive us into the wilderness. Drive us into the areas that are uncomfortable. And the reason why I like that is that the same way the Holy Spirit wanted to push Christ into the wilderness, the Holy Spirit wants to push our idea of religion into the uncomfortable zone. Religion is supposed to make us very uncomfortable. Uh, that's how we become deeper and better. My problem is that if you notice a lot of American religion, it's safe, fat, and comfortable. That religion, you know, you pray so that God will give you your truck and you'll be comfortable and you worship with your latte and God is supposed to make you comfortable and you enjoy the music but demand nothing. Which, I'm sorry, kills your spirit. We want Lent to push us to the very boundaries. So in the readings, you have this contrast between the garden and the desert. In the garden... Humanity was supposed to be with God. Um, but the devil wants us to tempt us to make ourselves the center of our life. That's what the temptation is. Who's the center of your life? Satan's temptation is to make us the center of our life. In the desert, Christ proves, no, um, we're not supposed to be the center of our life. We're supposed to be with God, not a God. God is supposed to be the center of our life. So. The temptations um, uh, in the desert, they're really to prove. Um, is God the center of our life? If God is the center of our life, we've returned to the garden. And we can share in the original blessings. We can become wild again. So the three temptations are really, is God the center? And like, it's kind of amazing this reading shows up because last week somebody said, well, um, so why do we pray the Lord's Prayer wrong? And then um, yesterday, somebody said, why do you Catholics pray the Lord's Prayer wrong? Do you know what they mean by wrong? Oh, okay. So Protestants, when they pray the Lord's Prayer, they add at the very end, for the kingdom, power, and the glory are yours. The problem is, Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that. You know where that came from? The Mass. So we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray that we receive, technically the Greek, the bread of life. Then the priest says something. You guys always forget. And then together, no, I know you. Um, and then together we say, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. So um, that's a liturgical response. It's back and forth. And when we say, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, um, it's the kingdom, the power, and the glory, it came from uh, this gospel. The three temptations are that the kingdom, the power, and the glory is for us. And Christ proves, no, the kingdom, the power, and the glory is for God. So before we receive God, communion, 
We're praying that we do not want to be the center of our life. The King, Power, and Glory is this prayer that God is the center of our life. So it's the reverse of the three temptations. The reason why they say, well, you're praying it wrong, is that Martin Luther, when he left the Catholic Church, uh, took out the part that the priest says and squashed the two together, and then people thought it was the Lord's Prayer. And then they simply rewrote the Bible to make Jesus say that. But Jesus never said that. Jesus did that. So that's why we pray that. Um, and the three temptations, I love this. Uh, the first temptation is turning stones into bread. Not stone, but stones. Why is the plural important? Because it's not turning stone into bread because Jesus is hungry. It's turning many stones into bread. And then with all this bread, I can say to the people, come, I'll show you the kingdom. I'll provide everything for you. That Jesus will get followers by uh, bread and wealth. But Jesus doesn't offer us bread and wealth. You know what Jesus offers us? The cross, that we die to ourselves. So Jesus never does miracles because, come on, Jesus, do us a trick. And he refuses. It's not providing us with everything that we want. So, no, it's actually giving us what we need. Push the boundaries. Or, or um, the kingdom, the power. The second one is about um, being glory that uh, the glory is, um, oh, sorry, that was the first one. The second one is about power, that he goes to the pinnacle of the temple and shows off and jumps off, and then angels would carry him, and everybody would see how powerful he is, and it will be this sensational wow, and they'll follow him. But Jesus is not about sensationalism. He doesn't want religion to have a flash of, oh, gosh, power and prestige. Religion is supposed to convert us. Or the kingdom. He goes up, Satan takes Christ up to a high mountain, could show him all the kingdoms of, uh, of the world. and says, you know, if you compromise a little on your positions, you can have political power to have the kingdoms. All you have to do is compromise just a little. But Jesus doesn't. You know, just if you had political power, makes you the center. And so... Christ makes it clear, political uh, religion is not about gaining power. It's over other people. Religion is about having the power to serve other people. So all three temptations are about the kingdom, power, and the glory. Is God the center of our life, or are we the center of our life? And like, going back to the story, I think Lent is like that hunting trip in Alaska that he got rewired to be calmer, more awake. And so in Lent, I want us to make us very uncomfortable. That's what religion is supposed to do. Let's push the boundaries. Fast, almgivings, look at our sins, look how much you're complaining. Keep count so that we really are rewired to be people of great love. If we can push the boundaries of religion to challenge us, make us uncomfortable, then we're back in the garden. After 40 days of celebrating this, let's find ourselves in the garden where God is the center of our lives, where we can become wild again and rewired, really, for love. And so, together, let us stand and profess our faith. Oh, wait, wait, I have to warn you, just really quick. This worries me, because I know you people. Um, that book, if you want to read it, I love it, but I have to warn you. 
it does have cussing in it. Um, I was surprised to find out that c hunters cuss a lot. Um, I know, it's shocking. But luckily, like, I'm born for, in Montana, and uh, those Montanans cuss like nobody's business. So um, it's like Canadians, too. So um, that's like water off the duck's back. But you people from Idaho, you're very genteel and, and soft. And so if you get the book, I want to warn you, it may have a little cussing. So anyhow. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.